Welcome to the Super Abundant Life Podcast. I'm your host, Olaomi Brigway, a transformational life coach and the creator of Super Abundant Woman, where we are teaching and equipping women who have a burning desire for significance to create an exceptionally successful and fulfilling life without burnout or stress. In the not too distant past, I myself was trapped in an agonizing cycle of failure and shame with my mind constantly dominated by negative emotions. But my life was dramatically transformed beyond my wildest dreams when I began to live by the power and the wisdom of God's word. My mission is to teach others to experience the same. On the Super Abundant Life podcast, we have only one goal teach and empower Christians to take full advantage of their rights and privileges in Christ so they can build exceptionally successful lives. Thank you for tuning in. I'm so glad you're here. We're going to do a practical run through today of how to use scriptures to break the grip of inferiority, guilt, and shame. I began to look back over my own life and I thought, what have I struggled with in terms of identity as a Christian? Even though I was a Christian, tongue-talking, demon-chasing, as we used to say, what have I struggled with a lot in the past that I, and for a long time, I didn't even know how to deal with these things. And I realized that it is inferiority, feeling lower or inferior to the image that God has actually created me to be. And then things like guilt, like shame, like regrets, like condemnation. So I decided that, okay, since I've been able to a large degree overcome these feelings and manifested as someone that is confidently achieving wonderful things in life, how can I then help other people do the same thing? So I've literally gone back into what I've practiced that has helped me. And I basically documented it. And that's what I'm going to present to you. I don't like talking theory, all right? If I haven't tested something and know that absolutely 100% it works, I don't put it out there. So rest assured that what I'm going to teach you will be very simple because I like things very simple. Anything that's complicated, you usually will not find God there because God is very simple. Look at the life of Jesus. The Pharisees were always trying to make things complicated, but Jesus said, no, no, no. He simplified everything to make it accessible to everyone. So you find it very simple. That's number one. You find it practical, meaning relevant. You can actually take it and say, hey, so this is how I'm going to apply to my own situation. And number three, you will find that it works. Okay, so let us get started. Uh, and I've divided this into three sections. <laughs> if you listen to my podcast, you know that I do this a lot. Just the teacher and me. Forgive me, okay? But I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So the first one is, 
I'm going to look at how situation, how we actually end up with distorted identities in the first place. Secondly, I'm going to look at how do we then rebuild that identity that we should be using very, very practical tools and strategies. So how do you rebuild your confidence? How do you rebuild your esteem? How do you rebuild your worth? How do you re rebuild that confidence to go into the presence of God and not feel like a scam? Do you understand that? You want to go for a particular role in your career and imposter syndrome comes and says, is it you they're looking for there? These things are lies from the pit of hell. So we're going to look at how to destroy those kind of mindsets and then rebuild that confidence, not confidence in yourself, but confidence in God. And in the third part of this, of today's um, teaching, I'm going to walk you through a practical example from my own personal life, how I did this and the results that I got as a result of doing it. So like I said, the first thing I want to look at is nobody is born <laughs> with a false identity. Nobody is born with an inferiority complex. Have you seen how children behave? A child will climb up, as in a two-year-old will climb up on top of a table and say, I want to fly because I'm Superman. And the mother will run and go and I say, eh, don't. <laughs> I go around and grab the child and say, eh, don't fly. Oh. That's how we come into this world. We are born with a solid identity because you know what? Every child that comes into this world comes out of the presence of God. It is when we now enter here and the world does you bass and the light begins to tell you, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do this. That is when literally the image of God inside a child begins to be distorted and conformed to this world. No child is born into this world with a mindset of, oh, this is impossible. I can't do this. I'm afraid. In fact, psychology would tell you that there, I think there are only two inborn fears. So two fears that we are naturally born with. One is a fear of falling. I don't remember the second one, right? So the fact that when you throw a child up, they cringe. That's, that's one of two that a human being is born in, everything else, you learn it. And if you learn it, it means that it is not real. It means that it is not real, right? It means that it is not real. So how do we come to the point where the perfect image of God that, that is imprinted on our hearts when we are born, how do we get to the point where a beautiful woman look herself in the mirror and thinks she's ugly and thinks she's worthless? Do you understand? How do we get there? Yeah. And I want to read. So we're going to go into the Bible. If you have your Bible, there will be wonderful if you can open and come along with me, because I want to show you specifically how Satan does these things. And mind you, it is Satan. He uses people and he uses circumstances in our lives to get us to that point. So my first scripture that we're going to look at is Judges chapter six. So let's go there. So Judges chapter six, I'm just going to open it. And it's a very popular story in the Bible, which is the story of Gideon. I'm reading the New King James Version. I usually read NLT, but I like the way King James uh, puts it in this particular example. So I'm going to read from, let's see, where should I start from? Actually, let's, let's start from verse one. So it says, then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was, now listen to this carefully. 
when Israel had sown, when you're referring to Israel, it's talking about the nation of Israel. When they had sown, planted, because they were farmers mostly, and they kept goats and sheep and all that. That was the economy. So every time they planted, it says the Midianites would come up. Also, the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would camp. <laughs> no, I mean, enemies are just wicked people. It's not like they will come and try and, you know, steal something and run away. See, they will camp there. So Satan goes after your identity and he will not stop coming until he feels like he has destroyed that individual. God forbid, not us. Do you understand that? He says they would camp there. They wait, literally wait for them to plant, tend the thing, water it, look after the crops, look after the sheep, look after the goats. And then it will say that they would like cap against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no substance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. For they will come up with their livestock and their tents coming in as numerous as locusts, both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter, enter the land to destroy. So Israel was greatly impoverished by the Midianites. It says they were greatly impoverished. So it's like one thing comes, you're like, okay, I, I, I still believe I can handle it. And then as you're still saying, I can handle it, I can handle it. Another one hits you. And you go, okay, fine, okay. That one has knocked me off my feet a little bit. Let me get up. I know that I can do it. I still have the confidence. And then you walk into the meeting and you come out with your, after your presentation, your boss calls you into the office and says, that is the worst presentation I've ever heard in my entire life. You were sounding like a two-year-old, very incoherent, blah, 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 blah. And this guy goes on and on and on and on. And meanwhile, you spend like 20 hours working on that five-minute presentation. You see what I mean? It just comes and comes and comes. And every time you interact with something that appears to be failure in an environment, the failure does not just happen and go away. It leaves an imprint upon your soul. It leaves an imprint. It rubs just a little bit of your identity away that God originally gave you. That is why you should not just merely go through situations and move on. If you go through something that touched you, that made you feel somehow, don't just walk away. Somebody say something to you that made you feel somehow or inferior. Don't just say, hey, that's a problem. It's not my own. I don't care what they say. You better care what they say. You better go and sit down and begin to speak words to cancel, to remove that imprint from your soul. Because every encounter you have with this world, right, whether good or bad, leaves an imprint. Do you understand? And that is why as children, that is the greatest entry point into our life because children don't know how to do this. A child will go to school and the teacher, because the parent is not there, the teacher will tell the child, you will never amount to anything, especially if you grew up in Nigeria. A lot of us were abused <laughs> by teachers. I remember my math teacher in secondary school telling us so, teacher, telling us that most of us will end up as pepper sellers. Can you imagine? Because she asked the question and we could not answer, and she got angry. And she was saying, a lot of you end up, I mean, it was not even like a school, a village school where you were under the tree. Proper school. Where did this woman come from telling us that your parents were paying school fees to pay your salary and you were telling us that we end up as pepper sellers? Can you imagine? Now, 
a child does not know to say, I reject that in the name of Jesus and begin to declare that, listen, I can do all things. I'm a, I'm a victor in Christ. The child doesn't know how to do that. And unfortunately, most Christians also don't know how to do that. So every engagement you have with your environment, words, thoughts, experiences that you go through, leave an imprint on your heart. It is your responsibility to know how to deal with those things. So the Midianites and who else, the Amalekites and all these people basically camped against the Israelites and they were bent on destroying their self-image. They wanted to make them so, how do I say it? You know, Israel now, they, they believed in Jehovah, like the I am that I am, the one that brought them out of Egypt, etc. But Satan was bent on destroying every connection they had to God. They started it themselves by worshiping idols, but he was going to finish them. It's the same way when you go through experiences, you must understand it is not, Satan is not coming after that car because he's, he wants a car. Have you ever seen Satan in human form riding a car? He doesn't need a car. He doesn't attack your car because he wants to collect it and ride a car. No, what he's looking for is to tamper with that image of God inside you. Is to tamper with that image. Because he knows that if he can tamper with the image, then he has actually reduced your efficiency in manifesting who God has called you and created you to be. So it is always about the image. That's what he's looking for. And ultimately, he wants to get us as Christians to the point where you would deny God. The very essence of, oh, I'm born again. I know who God is. Haven't you heard Christians, I'll say, that walk away from the faith and say, this God thing is not working for me. How did they get there? How'd they get there? It was a carefully orchestrated strategy that kept bombarding them through different, through affairs, through bitterness, through people hurting them. So people who heard them in church say, all these Christians, why are they behaving like that? They've gotten it wrong by thinking that, oh, Christians are bad. No, it is Satan that is manipulating events and people to try and mar that image of Christianity in them to the point where Christians that had professed Jesus will eventually say, there's no Jesus. I mean, all these Christians, I want nothing to do with them. And they walk away from the church and walk away from Christ. So you must understand that. So that's the first thing I wanted to highlight. Don't go through experiences in life casually. Don't never do good and bad, right? Even for the good ones, don't just experience something nice and good and move on. No, rest upon it. Think about it, ponder on it. Let it soak well into your soul because it's like a lion and a bear. If you just go through experience lion and a bear and throw off that experience and move on. When you face a Goliath, you will not remember that the same God that helped you with lion and the bear is still the God with you. So both ways, be very intentional about your experiences in life. Don't casually say it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It does matter. Now, let me show you the impact of everything that the Amalekites and all these people, Midianites, all that attack and assault upon the image of the Israelites. Come and see the effect of all that. Come and see the effect. And we see the effect in Gideon. So we're still in Judges chapter 6. I'll start from 11. It says, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the, under the tree while Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to do what? To hide it 
from the Midianites. So because they had assaulted them so much, what is the effect? Somebody said should boldly, after, is it not his wheat? This is wheat now. The guy that spent his money to buy seeds, planted it, watered it, removed weeds, and then the harvest is here and he has to go and hide somewhere to be able to do it. Does that not sound familiar? You went to school, you got a degree, you even went and did master's. Some even went and did PhD. They now say, come and apply for this promotion at work. You're like, oh no, I can't do it. I mean, where did that come from? You, can you see what I'm saying? So it could be as a result of failure, repeated failure in that, maybe the person has been applying and they kept getting rejected. Every rejection, don't apply for a job, they reject you and just move on and say, I mean, some people say, fine, whatever, on to the next one. No, don't do that. Because remember what I said, every experience leaves an imprint on your soul. So even if you look at the rejection letter and you say, and you speak words and you say, this rejection means that there's something better coming. You have to interpret it and change the interpretation that that failure tries to give you in your soul. So come and see the effect. Guys hiding in a cave, a whole farmer that owns a field, it's his right to walk around anyhow, anywhere he likes with his wheat. But he's hiding in a cave. This is the effect of continual ambush upon his soul, upon his identity. And now look at this. When we get to that stage, come as anything that God tries to tell you about your full identity just bounces off. So he says in verse 12, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Can you see the difference? Yeah. God said, mighty man of valor. Gideon is hiding. If we were to interpret it today, if I looked at it, I will say, this guy is a coward. Though. Why can't he just go and fight? The guy was hiding like a coward in a cave. But what did God see? God saw a mighty man of valor, and called him a mighty man of valor. Can you see what I'm saying? And basically Gideon, he bounced off. Gideon said, no, it's not me you're talking about. <laughs> because of the ambush, his identity had become so distorted that he couldn't see himself again the way God saw him. And this is how our identities get distorted. So the summary of that, as I move on to the next section, the, the summary of the first one is don't go through experiences in life and just leave it like that and move on. Somebody says something to you, something happens, you, you experience a kind of failure or whatever, don't just move on because everything leaves an imprint. I'm going to come back to Gideon later on, shortly, as I talk about how to rebuild that confidence, which is what I'm going to look at now. So the second section is once your identity or your confidence has been battered in a particular area of life, how do you build it back up? Once that identity has become distorted, right? How do you build it back up? And it could be in any area. And the amazing thing about it is it is never equal. So what I mean by that is somebody could be as in really, could be a rock star in their career and they have success after success and their confidence is high in the career and anything they touch turns to gold. But when it comes to maybe marriage or relationships or parenting or finances, this you think that this person that's showing up as a rock star at work, you would think that they're like that in every area of life. Don't be deceived. <laughs> 
So how do you build up that confidence? So I'm going to share with you three very practical strategies that I have used that is crypto-based that you can use to rebuild your confidence, to rebuild that image of God that is inside you, to get rid of shame, to get rid of guilt, to get rid of inferiority and begin to walk in the true identity of who God says you are, which is more than a conqueror. Yeah, are you ready? Okay, so I told you that I was going to come back to Gideon. So the first strategy is what the angel did with Gideon. You engage with the scriptures that show you who you are. You engage. Engage means you literally get stuck in there. So let me go back and read to you what happened here. So going back to Judges chapter six, Gideon says he's hiding, he's cowering, he's afraid. He doesn't have the boldness or the courage to go and face anybody. If you hold this picture in your mind, he's someone that is sort of bowed down. He can't look you in the face because he's so afraid. That's, that's what life had beaten him into. So God, in the form of the angel, showed up and said, mighty man of valor, mighty man of valor. <laughs> and at first, let me show you what Gideon said, verse 13 of Judges chapter 6. Let me read it to you and I'll explain what that strategy and the process looks like. Gideon said to him, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all these things happened to us? Where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about saying, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt, etc.? but the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of Midianites. Look at what the angel said. I want you to pay close attention to what the angel kept saying. Even though Gideon is running his mouth like this, God is not with me. God has forsaken me. The angel said, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? It was almost as if the angel just carried on saying what he was saying before. Did you notice that? So the angel shows up and says, mighty man of valor, the Lord is with you. And then Gideon goes on a rant, like God is not with me. God has forsaken me. I can't do it. God says, I'm telling you, you can do this job. I'm telling you that I'm going to bring you out from lack into abundance in your finances. He said, how can that happen? I don't even know. There are all these powers of death. And Gideon is speaking back. The angel just carried on. The angel only say, ah, oh, it's kind of true. I cannot see what you're saying. The angel ignored all that. And the angel just carried on consistently saying the same thing. Look at it yourself. The angel said, go in this might of yours. So he said, mighty man of valor. Then the next thing the angel said was, go in this might of yours. He bounced off his consciousness again in verse 15. So he said to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. Look at verse 16. I want you to see this exchange between Gideon and the angel as literally an exchange between you. Those things that you fear, those arguments that you keep having with God, this is it. The Bible has everything, right? Those arguments in secret, God is telling you, you can do something, saying, I can't do it. I can't. This is you. And <laughs> this is you and God being played out in the story of Gideon and the angel. What did the angel say again? Did the angel say, well, it's true, Sha. You Manasseh people, you are very weak. You people are not very strong. So I kind of, okay, do you know what? No, ignored completely. Said, surely I will be with you. You shall defeat the Midianites as one man. God just kept on holding on the picture of his identity. He had 
zero care for what the present situation was. That is your first strategy. And if you keep reading that, Gideon was very, as in the thing had entered into his soul so much that it took a while for him to even accept and say, okay, what God is saying is true. So don't even judge yourself. Don't judge yourself. Don't think, you know, you watch one video and then you take a scripture for that and you see, oh, God loves me, that it will, it will, it will just suddenly go away like that. You have to be persistent. You have to stay with it. You have to give the Holy Spirit opportunities consistently to wash your mind with the word. The Bible talks about the washing of the mind with the word of God. That's what the angel kept doing for Gideon. He kept exposing him, kept showing him who he was. The standard that the angel held up was constant, consistent. He didn't dip based on what Gideon was saying. And eventually Gideon went on as a man of valor and he defeated the Midianites as one man. He was the one that went to war, I think, with 300 men against possibly a million soldiers and defeated them. That's the man that was saying, I'm the weakest and hiding in a cave. So the first strategy is go and get scriptures. So someone says, I just feel like I can't forgive myself. There are certain things that I've done. I just feel like I can't move on. Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For everything that you're feeling that is a symptom of a distorted image, there's a scripture that will counter it, right? There's a scripture that will counter it. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you to the right scriptures. Take your concordance and begin to search it out right? And begin to, you don't need many, you need one. One is okay. Because if you have 10, you will remember, say, which one should I remember again? Just have one to answer that thing back. One, memorize it. And every time that feeling rises based on that distorted identity, I want to tell you that you are not who God says you are. Fire it back. Speak back. Speak back. Don't just lie down and say, it's true, it's true. I need to start crying. Do you know God is just looking at you like, Hello, how far? But I just told you who you are now. Didn't I just tell you this morning in cry time, you were even, you were crying. So oh God, you're just so wonderful. Now you go out and somebody is telling you that you can't do anything and you start crying again. Did we not have an exchange? <laughs> do you understand? This is how God looks at us. But his mercy will not even let you leave you alone. Did, did you see the angel storm off? Like what kind of useless human being is this one? I mean, thank God I'm not the angel or Jesus. Because me, I would have been like, my friend, please, 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 just go back into your cave. Let me go, <laughs> let me go find somebody. But God is not like that. God actually sees weak vessels and he takes delight in the fact that that vessel is weak. Because by the time he's finished with it, it will be obvious that it was God. So he actually takes the light. So God was very patient with Gideon. He just kept presenting the truth to him, kept presenting the truth. So how do you do that practically? Get one scripture that addresses that thing that's telling you that you're worthless, that you cannot be forgiven, that God hates you, that you can't, you can't amount to anything. You know, that is stealing, that, is, that has distorted your identity and is speaking from that place of distorted identity. So that is the first strategy. And I will encourage you to go and read the whole of Joshua 6 and see how somebody that started off with such a poor image of themselves, such extremely low self-confidence, self-worth, 
low self-esteem, they became like a giant in the hands of God. The story of Gideon is such an encouraging story to read for somebody that is struggling with self-confidence. So that's the first one. The second strategy, and these do not stand in isolation. Do all three, because I'm telling you what worked for me. Do all three. Don't just say, I'm only going to do one. So the first one you do is what I've told you. The second one, we're going to look at David. And I talk about this one all the time. My super abundant women, they know I talk about this all the time. In fact, in Saul, we call it a praise feast where we uh, for 21 days, we spend an hour just praising God. And I'm always going on about your line and your bed, your line and your bed. So that's the second strategy. You must keep fresh in your memory the victories of God in your life. So the things that God, the big things that God has done in your life in the past, even if it was when you were five years old. You must keep those things fresh in your mind. That was what David did with the lion and the bear. Do you know why so many people are walking around Christians with lack of confidence? It's because they forgot. So they want to apply for this particular job, for example, and they feel like, oh, how, you know, ah, it is like five levels high, but God is telling me I can do it, but I don't even know, I have no confidence to do it. And they feel afraid. It's because they forgot that when they were maybe in, in year one or something, something happened and they were like, oh my goodness, I didn't even know I had that in me, but they forgot that. If David had not retained, listen to what I'm saying. That's why I said in the beginning that every experience you have in like good or bad, don't just have it and move on. So when you have a good experience, something that brought you joy, don't just move on. Sit down and really meditate on it, imprint it on your soul. Well, journal it down. So if David had forgotten about the lion and the bear, trust me, when he showed up to that field with Goliath, he too would have done what? He would have done what? He would have gone to hide like everybody else. You don't believe me? Let me give you proof from the scriptures. You know, Jonathan, Saul's son, next in line to the throne. Jonathan would have been there because he was a soldier. He had become a soldier from an early age. So he and David had not connected by this point, but he certainly was there. And he was one of the people that went and ran away every time Goliath showed up. Yeah. But did you know that Jonathan had had an experience prior to Goliath that was even bigger than what David had with the lion and the bear? The Bible talks about there was a time where in another one of those battles. So Saul had gathered the army of Israel and they were again because Saul and Philistines, they fought throughout his entire life. So in another previous battle before Goliath, the Israelites had gone to battle against the Philistines. And I think everything was just slowed down. And I think for three days, nothing was really happening. And Jonathan got up with his armor bearer, which is the person that carried his shield for him and everything. And he was like, why are we all just here? Let's go and finish this battle. And he got up carried his armor bearer with him and they went and searched for some, as they were going, they came across some Philistines and by himself with his armor bearer, I think they killed about hundred soldiers. I don't remember the number. By themselves, by the hand of Jonathan and his armor bearer, God brought victory to an entire army. David fought one lion, one bear. Jonathan fought probably hundreds of soldiers that were as strong, if not stronger than he. Do you understand what I'm saying? But when Goliath showed up, 
Where was he to be found? He too went to run away and hide. So don't take it for granted the things that God has done in your life. I've just shown you proof that if you go and treat it and you, in the moment you, you cry, you rejoice, like, God, you're just so wonderful. And then three weeks down the line, you've forgotten. Another talent that is even smaller than that one comes your way and you're crying. And like, God, I don't understand. Why me? Why don't you? You understand? No, you will not have confidence. This, this particular one, I don't play with it. I have something called a book of remembrance. I have, just, I don't play with this one because you simply will not have the confidence to face the challenges in your life if you have forgotten how God got you through the challenges in the past. You have no reference point. You have no reference point. So that's the second strategy. You need to sit down and find out. You don't even need one million lion and bear experiences. And let me show you in Psalm 78 what happens when you don't retain the knowledge, the victories of God in your heart. It's a very dangerous thing. Like I said, that is why so many people are walking around with a lack of confidence. Psalm 78, it says, and they may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. So stubbornness, hardness of heart actually comes from not retaining the goodness of God in your heart. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by hardness of heart? Hardness of heart is you see somebody and they're going through something and what is coming out of their mouth, they're accusing God, they're blaming God, they're almost cursing God, even though they're afraid that thunder and lightning come and strike them. They're almost cursing God. And, And sometimes, you know, because I interact with a lot of people, as a coach, as a pastor and all these things. And I'm thinking, it wasn't six months ago that we celebrated this massive miracle that you were calling all of us and we were rejoicing together. Now something is happening. And the same God though, it's not even like it's another God. It's the same God. Now all of a sudden, this same God is not a good God again and he's a father that has abandoned you. Just like, it causes hardness of heart. Now, let me keep reading. It says, verse nine, look at this carefully. It says, the children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows turned back in the day of battle. Go to verse 11, tells you why. It says, they forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. And he goes on to list it. Um, he parted the Red Sea. He made the water stand up like a heap. He says that even though they had what it took, they had the bows, they had the arrows, they had everything they needed. When they saw the battle, they ran away. The same with the children of Israel when they saw Goliath ran away. Jonathan ran away. Why? Because they forgot. So the second strategy is for you to always retain. Do it intentionally. Don't think I won't forget, you will forget. Honestly, you will forget. In the moment, you are so excited and you're so happy. See what God has done. But I I give you a week. So, so much of this beautiful new house that we just bought. I give you, okay, house is a big thing, Abby, massive thing. Let, I give you six months. You already look and say, hey, that new house that's there. You've told us that you will forget. So you have to intentionally re- remind yourself and keep it. David says, I hide these truths in my heart. It gives you confidence to face whatever comes your way. And the third strategy, this one is very straightforward. And I'm going to read the two scriptures first before I talk about it. And that is Romans 8, 26. It says, likewise, the spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. 
for we do not know what we ought to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So that's talking about praying in the Spirit. When you pray in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is helping your weaknesses. So those feelings of inferiority, says infirmities, as you pray in the Spirit, he begins to tackle them. All those fears, one of the best things you can do for yourself is if you're afraid, something has made you afraid or anxious or worried, play some worship music and start praying in the spirit. I give you five or 10 minutes, that fear would lift, that anxiety would lift and peace would settle upon you. So praying in the spirit, Jude 1 also says that, says, but you beloved building up yourself. So if, if there are areas where situations have pulled you down, says, how do you build yourself back up? How do you rebuild that image of God inside you? How? Praying on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping yourself in the love of God. So if you find that the love of God has shifted where you feel like, oh, God doesn't love me or I don't feel like I deserve anything or I feel inferior, how do you build it back up? Pray in the spirit. So create a habit of praying in the spirit. That is the third strategy. Okay. And in the last 10 minutes, I'm just going to walk through very quickly a practical example, as I promised from my own life and how I apply this. If you know my story, and I'm not going to talk through any of that, one of the effects of the series of experiences that I went through as a young lady was when it came to marriage, my self-confidence, my self-worth, my self-esteem was minus 50. It was even zero. (laughs) So I wasn't even starting at zero, like, oh, it's low. It was not just low, it was short. Forget it, as in other areas, rock star. Yeah, career, finance, but that marriage, like, forget it. This, you know, if they're even looking for people that will get married, they can't even call your name, as in you of all people. That was literally how distorted my identity had become. Do you understand? Even... For me to sit there and to be talking to you today is because I've done serious work on my identity because I did not start like this. So I'm I'm telling you basically that there's hope. So regarding marriage specifically, absolutely destroyed self-image. So when God began to work on me and in terms of identifying, highlighting to me what my conforming beliefs are, begins to show me a picture of marriage. I'm like, God, this, this is not me they're looking for there. Like Gideon. I was like, it's not possible. I have a child. How on earth am I supposed to, you know, somebody that had a child outside of wedlock, how am I supposed to come and say, I'm going to marry a man of God? And I, I'd rather be single than just marry anybody. I don't want wahala. I don't, I'm a peaceful person. <laughs> so this was how I rationalized in my head. Like, I don't, I don't want to just go into a marriage where we'll be, it's fight today, it's fight tomorrow, it's fight today, it's fight. I'd rather be single than settle for something that I know is beautiful. But the beautiful kind of marriage that I want, I can't have it again because of this thing that I've done. That was where I was in my mind, okay? And there was no convincing me otherwise. So if I pray, this thing did not happen like that because I just refused. Like Gideon, everything God was telling me was just bouncing back. He would say it and it just bounced back. Like, it's not, it's not, it can't be me you're talking to because it was, it was too good to be true as far as I was concerned. So God began, eventually, he sort of got my attention. 
he had been saying it for years. I'm just like, he can't be, can't be, I don't even deserve it again. Who's going to marry somebody that has a child, etc. So it got to a point that somehow, I don't even remember exactly how the scripture came. Maybe I was listening to someone and someone quoted it and it just grabbed me. And then I went and searched for it afterwards. But anyway, he began to talk to me from Isaiah 61, 7, which says for your shame, you will have double honor. Other, another transition says double prosperity. I was like, for your shame. You mean God can take shame and convert it into double honor? I mean, you don't associate honor with shame, humanly speaking. If somebody has shame, if they don't something shameful, they have dishonor, isn't it? Well, I just saw in a flash, right? That uh, not only is God saying, okay, just take and go. I'm going to take your shame and give you honor because usually shame comes with dishonor. That in itself is a miracle. But God has said, it's not just honor that I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you double honor. Meaning, do you understand? That blew my mind. I was like, whoa. So eventually, what God had been telling me for years eventually penetrated. I'm like, okay, so what did I do next? So I'm, take, I'm walking you through the process. So I took Isaiah 61. I copied it down in my journal and then I began to meditate on it. That's the first strategy that I said. You would take that scripture and begin to literally bring it in front of your eyes. The same way the angel kept doing it for Gideon. The angel didn't say once, leave Gideon in the state that he was and walk away and say, I've told you once, take it or leave it. No, the angel stayed there, kept presenting it to him, kept presenting it to him until Gideon came to the point where he accepted that truth. It's the same thing you need to do. Unfortunately, there are no angels that are following you around and whispering scriptures to you again. You have to, Christ is now inside you. So you have to take the scriptures and do it yourself. Yeah. So I took the scripture, Isaiah 617, and I began to meditate on it. Every day I would open it up and I'll say, for my shame, God is giving me double honor. The thing that I thought was shameful, God is converting it into double honor. As I meditated on that and I meditated on it, I began to sit in a in, in an even deeper light. In a, you know, because before I say, okay, in spite of my shame, I started off by saying, in spite of my shame, God is so merciful that he will still give me double honor. But as I said it, moonlight came to me and I saw that it did not say in spite. It said, for your shame, I, God, will give you double honor, meaning the thing that actually qualifies me for that double honor is my shame. The thing that I was thinking, oh, this thing had disqualified me, I destroyed my life. God began to show me through constant exposure to that scripture and praying. So as I'm doing this, I'm praying in the Holy Ghost. Okay, I'm praying. I shall pray in the spirit for a few minutes, then look at that scripture, pray it, confess it. That's a process. So as I was doing that, I, the light came again that, no, 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 it's not in spite of your shame. I'm not saying, oh, you have a child, but I just love you, my child. I still love you, even though you have disappointed me. Let's just go and find one man for you. No, 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 no. God began to show me that it is because <laughs> it is because you have that child outside of wedlock that you will have double honor. And when I saw that, you can imagine it was like Gideon finally saying, ah, ah, yes, so me too, I'm mighty man of valor. When I saw that, all the, all the nonsense, the yamyama and everything that had the layers of mock 
of lies that had covered my identity just melted away. It melted away. And I was like, whoa. So, God, they're actually telling me that you can take a vessel that has been cast out. Like Jesus said, the one that has been rejected has now become the chief cornerstone. The chief cornerstone is the one that he used to decorate the top. But he was formally rejected. Oh, so you mean this is how you operate? And that revolutionized my life. And I basically continued to meditate upon it until that thing grabbed my soul and it became my identity. I used to see my child as, oh, my mistake, my mistake. I saw my child as this child is going to open doors for me in this world. I will go places that I would not have gone if I had not had this child. Do you understand? The whole perspective changed. I started showing up to life in a completely different way. I got out my book of remembrance and I began to remind myself how God used mistakes in my past and created breakthroughs and miracles. So I linked it to something God had done in my past. So you can see the three strategies working now. The scripture, the praying in the spirit, and my book of remembrance. The three working together. The three working together. I stayed with it until it became my new identity. And guess what? When my husband showed up, do you know the first thing he said to me? So when, in our first conversation, my husband asked me to marry him. So when we started talking later on, he told me, he said, do you know why it was you that I knew I had to marry? I was even thinking, say, oh, you're spiritual. You're so beautiful. Oh, you're kind. He said, because you are a mother already. As in my jaw hit the floor. As in I knew it. But to see it actually play out in manifestation, in reality, I was like, God, you are just too much. God, you are just too much. Literally, that identity, what God had showed me, was what played out. He said, just like me, for years, I had wasted time. Like Gideon, hiding in caves, thinking, oh, this thing, this thing, this thing, walking around with a distorted image. Do you understand that? So this is, this, it, it takes work. It takes work. You, you can't just listen to one video, watch one sermon, say, I'm pumped, I'm pumped. I know who I am in Christ. It's, it's, it takes more than that. You have to sit with it. You have to sit with it until all the muck, all the layers of lies peel off and your true identity emerge. And you know that, ah, I can do all things. It's not just by quoting, I can do all things. You, you know it's inside you. You show up to life like you can do all things. So find a scripture to counteract the negative experience of negative conforming beliefs. Number two, you're lying on your bed, document your testimonies and consistently revisit them to build up that confidence in God based on what he did in your past. And number three, praying in the spirit and praise and worship. So I'm going to wrap it up here. Thank you. Thank you so much. And bye.